You're listening to Rum Buncher Radio. Guys, we are into the season. 2023 is underway. Uh, Pirates home opening day is going to begin later on today. If you're listening here on this Friday, it is April the 7th. If you're listening a little bit after the fact, whenever you're listening, thank you for joining us for this episode of Rum Buncher Radio. Excited to recap this first week of the season. Pirates do not suck. At least to this point, uh, it's just a positive vibe. Somebody wrote an article recently on our site talking about the vibes. The vibes are high, guys. Uh, Marty Leap, Nick Caparoso is rejoining us tonight. Excited to get his thoughts on everything as we start this season. And Jason Mackey, one of our favorites, uh, back with us as always to talk about how it's going so far. The 4-2 and two Pirates, a win on opening day, a series sweep there in Fenway Park. You know, we've seen some really exciting moments so far in this season. Love what you see out of certain guys, um, you know, and just what we've seen out of lineups. And while you don't want to make any crazy takes, overarching takes at this point, um, you get an idea of what Derek Shelton, of what the staff is thinking going into 2023, at least what we might see here early on in the season. Guys, how are you doing tonight? And uh, how do we feel about these four and two Pirates? Jason, you want to get us started? Absolutely. I'm happy to. And thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to talk about Buckos, man. <laughs> It's fun. It's fun being around this team. It's fun covering this team, um, the way they go about their work. And they're like a bunch of really good personalities, really good dudes. Um, you know, and I think some interesting storylines bubbling to the surface. Like they're, they are not hard to cover right now. If anything, they're a pleasure to cover. Um, we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, but like they were the mu- they were a much better team against the Red Sox. This wasn't, they, they didn't slip by. Um, I felt they even played some decent games in Cincinnati. It wasn't that they, you know, were, were just horrible or anything like that. Obviously they, you know, need to get the offense going a little bit more and the, the Rich Hill game, you can't give up that much early, blah, blah, blah. That, you know, it tells me what I thought and what I expected. And I, I, I think will hold true is that this, this team's going to play a respectable and interesting brand of baseball. Um, they're going to be hugely watchable. Anybody, I know it's just six games, but I've been around this team since February. There are guys in there capable and intent on taking the necessary steps forward. I I have a tough time seeing how they won't. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing more than six games. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we were talking a little before the show, and the first thought that came to my mind about this is the – the lineup every you feel like every time someone comes up there's something that could happen and i can't remember the last time i felt that way you you know it's like every guy i'm interested in seeing you know his at bat rather than just oh you know here we go like bombing the lineups up so overall i you know from that perspective to see them go four and two to start the season. Like it's definitely easy to, uh, you know, feel that bucket of fever. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like you guys said, just to me, the biggest thing is they're a lot more watchable. It's a much more enjoyable brand of baseball. You know, like you said, Jason against the Red Sox, they were just out and out the better team. And, you know, it's not, the Red Sox that people think of with the Red Sox a lot, that that, that team's going to struggle some this year. They're pitching. I don't, I'm not sure where they're going to get the pitching from, but that Boston lineup is legit, man. And they scored nine runs in all three of their games against the Orioles. 
And then after putting up that five spot in the first inning on Monday night, scored three runs the rest of the series. So I think a big tip of the cap has got to go to this pirate pitching staff, especially the bullpen that had so many questions around it coming into the year for the work they did against a very good Boston lineup. And like I said, outside of, outside of the first inning of the series, held them to three runs. And this is after the Red Sox scored 27 runs against the Orioles in three games to start the year. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the bullpen. That was an area I wanted to go or should have gone or, you know, an active thought in my brain about this team. Like, the bullpen might be really good. Let's sit back for a second. I mean, even in spring training, they were cobbling it together. But, like, Rob Zestrisny looks excellent. I really like him making the team. I really like how they're using him. Uh, Dwayne Underwood Jr. has looked better for a large part of spring. And he's also a different pitcher if he's routinely pitching the sixth and seventh innings. Although I liked him closing the game the other day or yesterday, I guess I, I had no issue with that whatsoever. Give me Colin Holderman grabbing hold of the eighth inning set up David Bednar role all day long. Use Bednar uh, multi-inning early game guys to young crow fine with that. I think that's good for both of them. That allows you to protect Jose Hernandez and, I mean, they should have other pieces. Theoretically, get Garcia back or what happens with Johan Ramirez, Yeri De Los Santos. Um, you, you have guys that are going to filter in there at some point when they're needed. But I like the way the bullpen has pitched so far in the pitching staff as a whole, Marty. I mean, you're, you're talking about the starting staff and Mitch and what he did and Hill. Um, they're throwing strikes. I love that. And I don't know if it holds. I don't know if they throw strikes and then they get, the, the, you know, they, they get knocked out of the park. But – Right now, I like how they're challenging hitters, and it's working out well for them. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, just the fact that we've seen a few different lineups work so far for this team as well gives you confidence in what we thought coming into this season. Um, but like you guys both said, very excited about what we've seen from the staff and, of course, the bullpen as well. Could be a surprise. We talked about the staff really, you know, maybe being a bit under the radar, a bit underrated heading into this season. How about the bullpen? go along with them at least this first week of the year uh just a cool series to start um you know in Cincinnati obviously opening day taken very seriously in the city uh and in the state of Ohio and um you know always a pleasure um to, to see Fenway Park and just to see the history all that on display even if the Red Sox maybe aren't the usual Red Sox or you know what they've been for the last uh, decade or so here but guys the Pirates or four and two for a reason. Um, you know, we've seen these bats come alive in some big moments here. And, and Nick, you know, we, we haven't talked to you really at all through the offseason, throughout what the Pirates have done with Carlos Santana, with G-Man Choi, obviously bringing back Andrew McCutcheon. Um, you know, and as you kind of talk broadly here, zoom out a little bit, what was your favorite move this offseason? And what have you liked so far out of the group of guys that were, that were signed um, in this first week? Um, honestly, uh, you know, the Carlos Santana move, uh, really stood out to me. I thought bringing in a veteran who has been a part of plenty of playoff teams has been a above average player most of his career, but also bringing him in, you know, like the McCutcheon concept of the, the veteran mentor, but also first base has been such a black hole for the Pittsburgh Pirates the last X amount of years. And to bring in a reliable veteran who is still a plus defender, um, you know, it really suggested that 
the front office was trying to get this team to start, you know, going in the right direction, actually going forward and competing. You know, you don't bring in and Carlos Santana probably doesn't come to the Pittsburgh Pirates unless he he feels that way. You know, I'm sure he could have caught on to, you know, plenty of other potential playoff teams in the American League, I'm sure, or where he, you know, is most comfortable with the Indians before. I don't know what his offers were, obviously, but, you know, it says a lot to see, you know, a veteran who can still play the position come to a place that definitely needed that position to be filled. And he's done it so far. You know, he's um, showed up and he's had the first tough game, but, you know, other than that, his bat's been great. He got his first home run, which was uh, great to see, and an important home run at that point of the game. So, you know, and in, in terms of just the his ability at first base, like, you know, we've seen him make quite a few plays over there already, and I just feel way more confident, you know, when I see him on the other end of some of these low throws and making some of these plays. Yeah, it's been a void. Like you said, it's, um, you know, it's been something the Pirates have been wanting to fill, obviously, through this rebuild and did what it took this offseason to at least get a veteran in there for now. Um, like you said, just a great mentor for this team. You guys had a favorite lineup so far through these six games. Um, any one of them you'd like to see them kind of repeat or maybe one you tweak just a little bit? I'm kind of indifferent to it, Trey. Um, not, not indifferent's the wrong word. Um, I want Cruz leading off every possible game. Um, I want Reynolds hitting second every possible game. I want McCutcheon hitting third. I've liked it more than I thought I would. Um, I'm okay with Santana fourth. I don't see the fit with Choi yet. Um, I didn't in the offseason. I still don't now. I think they have one too many uh, guys for spots. And I know some people might argue they want to see G-Man Choi or it was a, you know, I know when I put something out there about, you know, them could, they could potentially walk away from it. I got crushed in a couple places and that's okay but i still don't see how he fits anyway i take santana fourth um what did they use probably hayes five i think has been my favorite um obviously dump the catcher nine um trying to think who else i i guess i like bay yeah bay eight or nine catcher spot in there um and then i kind of go back and forth on like if you have sawinski castro i'm not sure it really matters to me if you go those guys six and seven, either or, um, I, they need to get one of them going. Um, those are, you know, sort of my takes. Like I want, I, I cut more than I thought at three. I want Cruz up top. Don't see where Troy really fits. He hasn't done much. I'm fine with Santana Hayes four five. And then one of those guys, Castro or Sawinski really has to get going. What about y'all? Yeah. One, one thing I would like to see a switch is I really like the idea of putting Bay nine, um, especially because with your catcher, I mean, with yeah. these catchers, all three of them, none of them are here for their bat, um, you know, and I, I think you put Bay nine, it really helps to kind of flip that lineup card. And to me, putting Bay nine makes me like Cruz at the leadoff spot even more because in theory, that second, third, fourth time through the lineup, it should increase the odds of him coming up with somebody on base in front of them. And especially a guy like Bay, who's already shown he's not afraid to run around once he gets out there and still a bag or two. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on G man Choi. Also though, I, I think he's a good player and everything, but when you signed Carlos Santana, who in my opinion is the better player of the two, 
that kind of negated the need for him. And when you you had that about their ability to walk away from Choi, um, and I knew it was something they weren't going to do. I didn't think at least, but it made sense what you were saying. It really does. You have him and Santana, who in a lot of ways are the same player, but Santana probably brings more to this team in more ways than one, um, both on and off the field. So he's the one you'd prioritize there. I, I wouldn't hate, you know, those DH at bats that Choi's been getting. I mean, obviously you've got to play the guy, but I would like to see the majority of those at bats go to maybe like a Kanan Smith and Jigba. You know, looked great in spring. I know the overall results haven't been great to start, but it's not like he's looked overmatched in his at-bats or anything. You know, give him the at-bats, see what he can do. And, you know, I agree completely with, like, Sawinski. Something's got to give there. Um, You've got to get him going offensively. And I will be curious, though, with Sawinski, if he does not get going offensively. And, you know, obviously this is a discussion for another day, but, you know, Travis Swaggerty, Triple A, and he's playing a doubleheader right now. Swaggerty's got a triple and a home run tonight, and he's – already up to 304 in the season yep. and after the spring swaggerty had if Sawinski struggles and swaggerty keeps doing that how long can you really you know not swap those two so i think that will be something to watch and we're season. gonna find out marty yeah i agree <laughs> my, my thing is even if, even if Sawinski gets going if swaggerty keeps hitting the cover off the ball the way he did spring, you've got to give him a chance at some point so i think that'll be something really intriguing to watch here these next few weeks also i mean shelton when he sent when they sent Swaggerty out said like Swaggerty needs to play needs to keep playing needs to keep playing which I didn't totally understand because he didn't play Swaggerty I think he started Swaggerty once in the previous five days so so like he didn't need to play then like whatever but you know okay you go with it and say he needs to play he's playing he's playing well at what point do you say well this is real production this is good production like he can continue to play and he's producing in AAA. Let's see if he can continue to play and produce in the major leagues. And I mean, it's it's echoing what you're saying, but you can't afford to stick with somebody who's not getting it done. And Rodolfo Castro is not getting it done. Jack Sawinski's not getting it done. You could go straight swap if you send Jack to AAA and bring Swaggerty up. If you send Castro down, I mean, it's a it's a little bit tough to make it work. But then G1 Bay probably becomes a second baseman and not so much an outfielder until late game situations. It's not perfect, but I agree with you. You can't keep swag down if he's hitting 308 with triples, homers. You know, if he's going to OPS and slug and all that stuff, man, it's good. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, though, I think the big thing there is Castro too with this because if Castro continues to struggle and you send him out, I feel like you have you've got to bring him so he can play the infield though. Because you're you're one like look at look at what happened yesterday with yeah you're right you are one two thing you know, you know, if you didn't life. have Castro right. yesterday when Cruz left that game I don't know what the hell they would have done because Bay would have had to go to shortstop but then yeah. who the heck played second it would have been you, you're getting two Hunter Joe baby yeah well I, <laughs> the, the days of the Colomarans of the world playing second base can please be a thing of the past so uh, yeah. I'm assuming that if if Castro continues to struggle and send out it probably would be Mark Mathias especially because yeah. again. Not, I think Matthias and Swaggerty, obviously not apples to oranges at all, but he also is off to a good start at AAA. So I'm assuming he would be the man there. What's the over Guerrero doing right now? What's, uh, <laughs> need more of that. No, <laughs> certain guys, um, you know, obviously that <clears throat> we thought might emerge at this point in the rebuild haven't quite worked out, but other guys, you know, that we didn't really know about, like Juwan Bay. Hype was built there, no questions asked, but we didn't know how it would translate to the major league level. Uh, this is a guy that's had success. Maybe not in every at-bat and, um, you know, a bit of a different style, but a guy that 
has been exciting to watch and a guy that we've seen, you know, really excel in multiple spots on the field. Defensively, what would you guys like to see in the long run? Uh, you know, there would you want bet. I love what they're doing with him now, Trey. I do. Uh, I am totally fine with him bouncing around. Um, I think it takes advantage of, of different, you know, gets him in the lineup. Um, it helps them. I, center field is probably my preferred spot for him, but not by a ton. Um, if again, I think there's a Castro component to this. If Castro isn't productive, they need to find somebody who is. And okay, if you're going to bring up Marth, Mark Mathias as sort of like a super sub, I want to see Bay start. I want to see him in the lineup. Um, I love what he does getting on base, stealing bases. I think it's such a threat. Um, he's fun to watch. He's a guy, I mean, he's very well liked in that clubhouse. I think he provides a lot of energy for them. So I, I, I don't know if I have a strong opinion. I think he's a very good defender um, and I want to see him in the lineup, but you can play him anywhere as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I really like the the late game move to center field that they've been doing with him. I think, you know, just maximize the range and the ability in the field. So, you know, and you saw that pay off the other day in Boston, you know, and th that's part of it too. You see him make, you know, exciting plays and, you know, that suggests something about a player's future typically, you know, if they're making highlight real plays and, you know, like you said, causing things to happen. Yeah. Chances are this guy's going to find somewhere to play on the field for this team. And uh, wherever that may be, um, you know, I, he's shown, you know, the capability to play those positions. What do you like so far, Marty? Yeah, I think I'm the same there. It's just, I, I like them being able to move him all around. Um, and again, like Jason said, the, the Castro component here is big because if Rodolfo Castro gets that back going, it's problem solved. Castro is your second baseman. You probably play Bay a lot in center and right field is some sort of rotation of Joe and Sawinski and McCutcheon when he's not DHing or whatever it might be. But if Castro can't get going, then I think Bay's got to be your second baseman and, you know, late in games, make that switch because it has worked and it maximizes your defense when you're looking to hold a light or a, a slight lead late. But yeah, I think for now what they're doing is the right move and probably what we're going to continue to see. I do hope guys, just to build on that a little bit, like I hope they get rid of some of the non-producing youngsters. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a, like make this a meritocracy and, and Shelton, I think has actually used that word. I think I remember us joking about it. It was either on the record or off the right. That's a running joke with Shelton, by the way. I don't know if you guys know that we, we go back and forth. I have a file on my phone that I started about big words that he uses. <laughs> so he'll say something and then like point it out after or maybe during the thing about, you know, these like SAT words. Uh, but anyway, like it should be a meritocracy. It should. And if Jack isn't getting it done, if Rodolfo isn't getting it done, boy, I like those two guys personally, but I'd send them to AAA. I just would. And I would, you know, bring up Swaggerty, bring up Matthias, bring up anybody who is – Tuka Pita Marcano, by the way, we're, we're – sleeping on him a little bit. He's gotten off to a nice start. I was not impressed with him at all during spring training, but you know, if you're playing, if, if you're producing, you should come up and play. And I feel the same way about Andy Rodriguez, about Pagaro, about shoot Mason Martin. I don't care. Like, you know, I, I wanted to go off the board with one, but like, if you're producing, you should be playing. 
get you up here? I mean, not after like having a good week. I mean, you know, a definitive sample size here. Give me like, you know, at least a month, preferably six weeks or more. But, you know, I, that's what I'd like to see. And I hope they do it. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking about that, you know, a little bit ago. Just this is the point where the organization's at, where it's, you know, if you're serious about going forward, moving this team, you know, into this winning culture, you know, then right. You got to get the best players in the lineup, the guys who are producing, not cater to, you know, who you think might be good, but give the guys guy like Travis Swaggerty who has the pedigree and is performing, um, you know, there's no reason to, to not start getting him at bats at the big league level at his age, especially like let's get these guys up here. And like you said, let's get movement to make this team as competitive as possible every night. And somebody's going to take, to take that and run with that, of course, and say like, why not Andy Rodriguez? Why not Andy? Andy should be up here. And like, that's the one where I sort of draw the line where he can help with the bat, but he is not a developed product. The next person I hear say like he's ready for the major league level to catch the next one i hear say that will be the first he is not ready like McHenry watched exactly what i watched in spring totally agreed say like he is not ready yet he needs to catch um and you can make the argument that like he should be up and you know maybe he can learn from austin hedges but man some of these guys just need reps like it is a balance and i'm, I'm sort of defending the pirates here for a second but i think this is an important component of the discussion we're like you can bring guys up if you have a legitimate opportunity to play them and do what's best for them. For Andy Rodriguez right now, given the fact that Austin Hedges is on the book for $5 million, like you're probably going to pay him. And if you bring Andy up, you're going to have a tough time getting him what he needs. So keep him at AAA, at least for now. Like Let that situation work out. Now, if in two months, Austin Hedges is just like atrocious, okay, then, then at least you've given it a chance. But Anyway, I, I think there are some circumstances where, like, it is better to not always make it a meritocracy. Like, yes, is Andy Rodriguez one of the most exciting players or talented players they have right now? Certainly among prospects, yes. He might be an elite player, but, like, I want to get him developed the right way. So I'm okay with that kind of being a special case. Yeah, and I think one, one other quick point that, too, is just to take Andy, what – so you, let's say you're Andy Rodriguez is catching Rich Hill, who is legitimately old enough to be his father, and goes out to that mound for a mountain. What could Andy Rodriguez possibly? <laughs> this is not a knock on Andy at all. Nope. What could he possibly have to say to Rich Hill in a mound visit with two on and two outs in the sixth inning of one of a one or two run game? You know, like I said, Hill legitimately is old enough to be Andy's dad. Like what? What 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 can you add as a catcher in a situation like that? And that's a big component of being a major league catcher. Being catcher at any level, but especially right. in the majors, is being able to go out there and help your pitcher settle down when he needs it, help your pitcher work through a situation, work through in a bat, whatever it might be. And when you're 22 and you're starting pitchers in their 40s, there, there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to add to that. Right. And that's the big component here. And Marty, too, I, you know, there's a physical component. There's a mental component, a physical component where, like, I'm watching this dude block balls, and Andy is as athletic as, as, athletic as all get out. It's not keeping the ball in front of him terribly well in drills and Pirate City and that sort of thing. We saw it come out a little bit in games. He's got a really, really strong arm. It's not the most accurate arm. He spikes a lot of throws right behind the pitcher's mouth. Those results matter. Like those results impact 
the careers of Carlos Santana, Andrew McCutcheon, Rich Hill, guys with service time, guys that have been around a while. If all of that stuff is taken care of, great, bring them up. If he can help us win, everybody would be in favor of that. But I mean, Major League Baseball is not a proving ground in that sense, at least. Like, it's not a practice mm-hmm. court. You know, if you have a better option, and they do, at least defensively, let the kid develop. Let him get his reps. I mean, they've spewed a lot of crap when it comes to, like, where guys are going, why they're doing things. or what. I shouldn't say spewed a lot of crap. I mean, they say some stuff that I think doesn't really resonate or maybe they're, you know, they don't want to say one thing, so they're saying the other. Spewing a lot of crap is harsh, and I, did, I didn't mean it to come out like that. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I genuinely understand what they're saying with Andy and agree with it. Why do you think they do that, though, when they, when they do, you know, mislead might not even be the right word either, but why, why do you think they – I think there's a couple things, Trey. I think there's a couple things. And I think they come from a good place. I really do. Um, I've had this conversation with Shelton, actually, about they don't want to talk about player development, which I I would disagree on principle with them. I think they're better off when they do. But I think he he and they feel like that's sort of a personal thing, um, that they don't want to, you know, give an outer boundary or you know, inform the public, inform the media, set expectations for what people are going to be looking at this player for, judging this player's progress on a super specific area. Like they do it to protect the player. Um, I do think they need to be cognizant of like the fan base and, um, you know, how people are perceiving them and what they talk about, like fans coming along for the ride and being a part of what we're doing. This is a part of that learning, learning what you're doing. But Anyway, I don't I don't think they intentionally mismessage anything. I really don't. Um, you know, are there service time implications with things? I'm sure there are. And they're hardly alone. And you can't say anything. Like, if you're Ben Charrington, you can't come out and say, look, man, like, we want to keep an extra year of control with O'Neill Cruz. We don't want him to be super two. And, you know, I, I think if there's a tie, it goes to keeping him in there. And if a player leaves open the door to have stuff like that messed with, they're going to, they're going to kick it in. They're going to take it, you know, and like with O'Neal swing decisions, chasing stuff, hitting lefties, breaking pitches, like all that stuff he did kind of need some work on. And I think we saw that when he came up last year, he was not a finished product there. It's been the same deal with Andy. You know, if you were that perfect that you basically don't give them anything to pick at, I don't think they'll monkey around with that stuff, but I mean, obviously those situations are few and far between, right? They're like the the Brian Reynolds thing where you have a guy who's ready and they have a need and they don't have anybody else. So they bring you up and you're like, shoot, we can't do anything now. (laughs) This guy's too good. So, I mean, those, they don't come along very often. No, I think you make a great point too, Jason. Like we often just as fans of the pirates put them under a microscope, but this is something that is a baseball issue, you know, and yeah, it's improved with the recent rule changes. But again, you're, you're seeing this mainly in the, the big markets that are, you know, willing to give up that super two uh, if it means helping them win more that year and maybe getting a draft pick at the end of the year. So I don't know. I don't think it, that rule change was necessarily the right move, but I just think that, we often, you know, overreact because we're so accustomed to the pirates doing this with their top prospects, but also because they're not winning. So it stands out. 
Yep. Isn't it? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funny how like yeah, it, this isn't a defense of the pirates. It's just like if they would figure this out and get guys who won, all of a sudden the payroll and what Bob Nutting does is going to become a secondary topic. People aren't going to be as offended by it suddenly if they figure out a way to win, like the Guardians and the A's and the Rays and all these you know smarter than everybody teams have done. If they do that, like all of a sudden we're not going to need to kick and scream and moan about you know what bob's spending on the team i'm not saying it's not important but it's interesting how that conversation goes away if they just play winning baseball yeah because i mean you know in 2013 2014 and 2015 i don't remember a whole lot of complaining about that there there, there really wasn't from went from 39 million to 100 million but nobody wants to talk about that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nobody talks about now. I see a lot of revisionists now of oh, they didn't do enough. They didn't do enough. I'm like, well, yeah. at the time nobody said that, and you know, not to go off in tangent, but when you win 98 games and the Cardinals managed to win 99, there really wasn't a whole lot else you were going to do. Yep. No, I, I have no dude. I I will rip them like the time 16, 17, 18, 19, or whatever. Like, I think it's a completely fair criticism to talk about their lack of international talent, their drafting the trades they made, and their failure to develop players. They sucked in those areas. I don't care what they spent. I really don't. And I think they also failed by not making the changes that they made or by waiting to make the changes that they made. Like, they were directionless. They were just there for, like, two years, maybe two and a half years. And then you saw it just go down the toilet in the second half of 2019. Like – Again, I, I have no issue with them, you know, wholesale changes, the direction they went, whatever. I wish they would have went there after 2018, you know, save a year on this thing. At this point, we might be talking about contending for a division. And it became really impactful with the COVID year because they didn't get as much out of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I look at that and I, I see $100 million payroll in 2016. It was just fine. And I, I see a whole really smart push for those three consecutive playoff teams and what they did. And that group should absolutely be a commit, be commended, but the idea should be continuing to do it. The idea should be like, we're going to create a nice narrow band with our payroll and we're going to go up to a certain point, but we're going to make sure that we're, you know, we don't have to go down to shoot 39, 45, whatever it got down to, you know, when you do that by, producing minor league talent by making good trades, by drafting well, by getting guys internationally. Like it should never get that bad if you're able to build that infrastructure and do that sort of stuff. And I have been impressed with how this group has done those things. Yeah, you said it, Jason. And I mean, in 2018 too, you wish they had obviously not made the moves that they had, um, you know, but we've talked about it time and time again on the show, that stretch in July, when they win, I think it was a 10 game win streak. Who knows if they don't do that? What the trajectory of the players, 13, 13, yeah. They the get a Cleveland game winning streak in the history of Major League Baseball. Yeah, worse. Because <laughs> I mean, think about what that created and now what 
this new regime has had to do to continue to, to crawl out of this hole. Yep. Um, but hey, guys, we, we pulled for a four and two team. Jason, you cover a four and two team. That's a team that entered the day tied for first place. So. I almost tweeted something. I was watching the Braves and Padres game. I said an off night, you know, in the Mackey household, watching a little Braves Padres, it's never too early to start scouting potential playoff opponents. But I think that something happened with a kid or a dog or something, and I never got around to sending it. But yes. Don't worry, I got I got people all in a, I got people on a while last night by mentioning that uh, you know the Pirates currently have a better winning percentage than the Penguins and then the Steelers had and how they're currently the best team in Pittsburgh and you know the the Twitter sphere of the world who cannot take a good joke and refuse yeah. to enjoy the fact the baseball team has actually played competent baseball to start the year were very angry but they'll they'll get over it. That's fine, man. I uh, <laughs> I love the uh, Dennis Eckerly just. No, oh, Eckersley just getting yeah, roasted in the hodgepodge comments. Yes. That was good stuff. Great. Fire them off all you can, guys. This is, uh, you yeah. know, a different different look this season, and we love what we've seen so far, of course. But uh, who knows how it goes here. It was the Reds. It was the Red Sox. Two teams, um, you know, that obviously done a favorable odds dinner this season. But, um, you know, you look at that. We talked about it before the show. You look at that Red staff competent and you know could really do the numbers um and wonders throughout the rest of the season but the pirates are four and two had a chance to kind of review now we've seen a week gotten a little bit got a sample size um of course a lot of baseball up but guys any of these moves we're looking back at now thinking damn wish they hadn't done that we mentioned hedges earlier a little bit too locked in there now and obviously um you know is going to be out here like we've seen out of jason delay taylor heineman him, maybe any other moves that you guys wish they hadn't have made this offseason? I'm glad they made the Hedges move. I'll jump in right away on that. I, I, I love the Hedges move. I don't question it for a second. Um, I, don't, I don't care if he hits. I don't care if he gets a hit as a pirate. You can send him up there without a bat for all I care. Um, and I think his concussion is going to be fine. Like he's walking around talking to people in the clubhouse. I really don't think. I'm not a doctor, but it does not look super serious. Um, the only one I don't love is the G-Man Choi thing. Um, and I just don't, I, I mean, the revisionist history, the Harleen Garcia move doesn't look good, but I mean, I certainly wasn't saying that at the time. I was not, you know, it's, it's easy to say now when the guy's got a bum left arm, but, you know, the move made a lot of sense. But I just don't understand, guys, like what, what the end game is here with, and even Connor Joe, as much as I like Connor Joe, Kutch, Joe, Choi, Santana, and then you've also got, what do you do with Kanan? What do you do with Swaggerty? What do you do if anybody else comes up and you're trying to get him at bats, potentially at the H? Like, they had an opportunity. And, and again, if we revisit their offseason, I get why they did with Choi. They did what they did with Choi. Like, they needed to fix the first base situation, and they did. And that was the best available option. Carlos Santana becomes available. Well, I'm not turning that down. I really like it. I really like it, especially for Cruz and Castro. Well, at that point, you have a choice to make with Choi. I mean, you can, you know, go through everything with him. Certainly, you can trade him. Uh, maybe they tried and couldn't. I don't know. I find that hard to believe. But I just, you know, continuing to go through the process with this many cooks in the kitchen at those, you know, basically three spots, I don't understand. Yeah, I agree with you. It's almost like with Joe and Choi, they jumped on the trades, which, again, understandable filling positions of needs. And then when things worked out in free agency with Santana and Kutch, it kind of put you in a tough spot. Um, 
Right, really? but you can you can move off of that, right? Like you can go yeah. back and say, "Well, okay, we got Santana now. We're going to try to move Choi." Yeah, Not and, like and I think up. that, and I'm sure you'd agree with me. I think that is something that probably happens at some point. I mean, obviously, this is getting way ahead of ourselves, but at some point between now and July 31st, I feel very confident. No matter what he does or doesn't do, G Man Choi will be moved in some fashion. Yeah. Um, really, my my biggest complaint for the off season was. And this may work out. It may wind up not burning them after all, but was not doing more to address the bullpen. Um, I'm with you at the time. I really like the Garcia addition. Obviously, it's not worked out, but you can't. It's tough to fault a team. He was coming off a good year. He passed all physicals, obviously. Um, there was no reason to think something like this was going to happen. Um, I still wish they would have added maybe one more arm that's a little more proven to help out in the back end. But, man, if, if Bednar does what he's always done and hold him and takes a step forward. And I, we haven't mentioned him yet. I don't know how we haven't, but Dowry Moreta, man, he's, Sorry. he's fun. He's fun. Yeah. I love it. Like he, I wrote about this the other day. He kind of has that it factor and that swag and that confidence that this team just has not had for a long time. And if those three are what they look like, they might be, then the lack of not adding another bullpen arm probably kind of becomes a moot point. But that was that was probably my biggest complaint of the office because overall I think it was a very good offseason for Ben Charrington. Um, my big complaint was not adding another bullpen arm, but that may wind up working itself out anyhow. Dory Moretta, by the way, is appointment viewing, which you guys know. Oh, it's love over it. there in the press box in Fenway Park, and it's Alex Stumpf on my left, and then Patrick Kurish. Um, what well, he's two seats down, and a guy named Craig Ford who was filling in for Justice De Los Santos uh, from MLB.com. But we're sitting there. You know, Dari's pitching like if he gets if he gets out of this, he's gonna lose his mind. He's like his head's gonna pop off. And then he like we see it. Like, oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> like we're cheering Dari Moretta. And I mean, you obviously can't cheer in a press box, but we're just like, I don't know, we're like cheering the human condition. I feel like, yeah. like I don't good, bad. I'd be doing it for a Red Sox guy. It doesn't matter. I'm just I'm fascinated by the way the dude celebrates when he gets out of a jam. It's hilarious. And one thing with that too, I love, like I've said this for a lot of years, baseball needs more of that. You want to appeal to the younger crowd. You want to appeal to the kids. I'm a teacher. I have two sons. Like I can't tell you how many times I see between my kids and their friends and kids in school, kids hitting the gritty and that sort of thing. Get this incorporated to baseball. This is how you get kids interested in baseball. Make it fun. Celebrate a home run. Celebrate getting out of a jam. Celebrate getting a save, whatever it might be. Make it more fun. And that's the kind of stuff that makes it more fun. And that's how you appeal to that younger crowd. Yep. I imagine you got a pretty mean gritty there as well, Marty. I would love to see it. No, it's fun. It's fun. And I think, you know, we go back to uh, what was a week ago, a little bit over a week ago now on our season preview episode. Marty, I think. Dari Moreta was your guy out of the uh, out of the arms and the team that um, you know you're excited about to start the season, but a lot to get excited about. Uh, obviously, a lot is changing not just with the Pirates but with Major League Baseball. Um, and Jason, I know it is an off night, so we're gonna we're gonna get you out of here in, in just oh, a fun. minute, and we appreciate your time, man. But um, guys, your thoughts on these rule changes? Bigger bases, obviously, a much quicker game, uh, and a lot of other little things that we're seeing as well. How do you guys feel about it so far? I love it personally. Um, you know, the quicker games is someone who lives about an hour and a half or so from Pittsburgh. Uh, Nick and I were talking about this before we came on the air. My, my youngest son turned six in two weeks. And last year, 
which was unfortunate because he loves the sky blast. He loves fireworks. Night games were a struggle for him because that last half hour or so of that car ride home, he was exhausted and he was antsy and he wouldn't go to bed. Well, now the games are 30 to 40 minutes, you know, not necessarily every game to be 30 minutes shorter, but on average, you're averaging 20 to 30 minutes quicker. Even for people like me with a family, that that can go a long way. You know, that could be the deciding factor of going to a game or not on a weeknight. And even if I'm sitting at home, if I'm watching the game and going to throw a recap together for Rum Bunch or whatever it is, it's nice to not be up till 11 or 1130 tying up the loose ends. It's nice to be able to be embedded at a decent time. So I personally love it. Um, even the bigger bases, I wasn't sure I was going to feel about that, but man, seeing teams run the way they have, it, it adds more excitement to the game too. You know, one of, one of the most exciting plays in baseball is a stolen base. Maybe the most exciting play in baseball is a triple. And, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff this year because with the bigger bases, it's going to be easier. And obviously the stolen bases are also impacted big time by the speed up rolls because of the disengagements on the sort of thing. But yeah, so far I, I love the role changes and I, I hope, that the pitch clock, the disengagement rules, the bigger base. I hope all that stuff's here to stay. I will say, Marty, you know, I agree with you on pretty much everything. And the, the big bases, um, you know, really you can't even tell, uh, you know, when you're watching the game, especially on uh, TV. So I think it's great in terms of getting guys stealing bases again, getting guys who could potentially hit, you know, legitimate big numbers of stolen bases that, and it makes it relevant again in the game. You know, that used to be, like you said, such a, a fascinating thing to pay attention to, to see, you know, who was swiping 40, 50 bags. And that pretty much like, you know, that became considered to be elite, you know, instead of, you know, multiple guys across the league competing to lead the league in stolen bases. But my one thing is I, I do feel like the disengagement rule – is maybe not as needed now. I don't know. But the pitch clock and the bigger bases, you know, I I think having more pickoff opportunities and things like that for the pitcher to be able to, you know, really have it, an advantage to keep that runner at first would be more fair, I think. But at the same time, like, it's not going to make or break my, my decision. I, I like the game I'm watching. I like the, like you said, the speed of the games, the everything about the game this year is just refreshing to me. So that was just yeah. my one little gripe. <laughs> I'm with you guys a hundred percent on that. I, I think they are like legacy defining for Rob Manfred. And I have not been a Rob Manfred fan, but I mean, he's on a pretty good heater right now. I think the World Baseball Classic was a, a wild success. I think they should do it again. They can make it better. Um, I think at least as far as international competition and doing what players want, he's lapping Gary Bettman in the NHL right now. But, I mean, look at the pitch clock, man. For all that has gone wrong with baseball recently, meaning like the lockout, agreeing during COVID, them looking just ridiculous, like in the middle of a global pandemic, arguing over pro rata and this stupid stuff. I mean, they 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 – one going away with the pitch clock. They really did. I mean, games are so much more watchable. The pace is so much better. I don't understand the people who say it's less baseball. Like guys standing around clawing at dirt, scratching their butt. Like that's not baseball. And I'm still getting the same amount of baseball in a condensed period of time. For a writer, it's absolutely game changing. It really is. Like it, and I mean, frankly, like somebody who who has some modicum of a deadline. 
it gives me an opportunity to tell a better story, to write a better story and get it in and have people read it the next morning. Um, and I mean, obviously, it's not just the Post-Gazette, it's newspapers all across the country, which thankfully in baseball, like they do care about that. That doesn't matter. Um, so I think it helps the fans that way. But just anybody who goes to a game and whether you're like Marty and your your kid is making it home, you know, still awake and it's not ruining school nights or anything like that. I just love the pace of play so much. And guys, I'll finish my comments on this part of it with with this. I do have a bit of a conspiracy theory with the rule changes. They've gone so well. I wonder if we're not watching the last season of calling balls and strikes. Like if you think about what Major League Baseball is doing right now and, you know, they're sort of armed with like, look, we've made the game better. We've done this. You know, there are sort of these radical changes that people were against, but look how well they worked out. Well, we're telling you balls and strikes are the next one. And so, you know, they're working on it. Triple A umpires, you really don't need them to be as much of a ball strike person as like a game facilitator with the clock. Make sure it's working. Call out and safe, you know, apply the rules, whatever. Um, Like I would still have umpires in place. I'm not saying the umpires would go anywhere, but I think their duties would be a little bit different. And that's just it's my own theory. I think we're watching the last season of a human being calling balls and strikes. I know Manfred, he he mentioned that a few weeks ago, just that, you know, that was his next big his next big goal. So and I agree with you. I think like seeing I don't know. It's weird. And I was talking to my buddy about this, but the commercials for the new rules are very like politically propaganda. I feel like made it. It's like very like, Hey, like here's our new rules and they're awesome. And here's why, you know? And it's like, (laughs) but they made a commercial saying the new rules sucked. Wouldn't you have a problem with that? Right. But I don't know. It just like, why do we why do we even need the commercial? I don't you know. Be, so, you know be his big brother now? <laughs> my I guess just like my point is though is right. They're they're building a nice foundation, a nice starting point for them to really be able to take that next aggressive step, which it's it's gonna be very aggressive. Like you said, it's changing the umpire's job that has been the same for the last forever so yeah definitely polarizing but i think they're doing a good job of of marketing it and getting fans to be thinking positively and on board and like you said the big thing is it's being successful nick we were talking earlier about um you know major league baseball and its popularity and i think marty was talking about you know, having kids do the gritty and, and, you know, be yourself and have fun. Like, I, I think that's part of what we're talking about here. Like put ads out there. Great. Sell your product, promote yeah. yourself. I have no problem. Be interesting. Appeal to a younger crowd. Like I think major league baseball for years has dropped the ball in like telling people about their players, you know, yeah. getting people to attach themselves to this thing. I mean, the NBA does a great job. Market your stars. These guys are the best in the world at what they do. You know, and we're starting to see it with Otani a little bit. Like, feed me all of the Otani. You know, give me the Otani Trout storyline. Um, you know, find me what whatever. I don't care. You know, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, Ronald Acuna Jr. Or, or give me what I, I don't know, whatever. I'm just talking about like fun players to watch. Give me all of it. Yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, I um, 
saw I just saw the commercials for you know I'm a as me and Marty will agree too as a social studies teacher I kind of like saw a little bit of a different aspect to those commercials but no I agree with you about the whole them lacking spreading the game and you know it's it's good to see because they're getting more and more um you know these faces out there uh like you said Otani's making I think they said he's making more money off of endorsements than he does off his baseball contract. I mean, you know, and who would, but you know, who would know that, but now we're starting to see that more, you know? Yeah. One thing I will say, Jason, I I really hope your theory is correct because there's nothing that drives me insane more than a, than an umpire missing. No matter what level of baseball is. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here watching the Braves and Padres also, and uh, Ozzy Albus just had in the bat where a pitch that was about five inches off the plate was called a strike, and I'm I, I'm ready for I'm ready for those days to be done, and then I can just sit there and at my kids' junior high and pony league games take all my aggression out on those umpires because I don't want major league umpires yell at anymore. I mean, <laughs> I feel for the umpires, man. Stuff's never been thrown harder. It's never moved more. Yeah. Like and they've never been second guessed at, at a greater clip. Like we've had, we've never had technology this good. Like I think you it's also never had the realm of human capability. Yeah, I can even remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you didn't see catchers with the ability to frame the way they do now. No, there was no, no emphasis no. put on that. Like I, I remember being younger and watching guys like Ryan Domit being viewed as top-notch major league catchers because they could hit for power while totally ignoring that they were clueless behind the dish. You know, yes. it's that that's a big factor too. There's so many pitches where when you're watching on TV and you have that view from behind the pitcher's mound, you can clear as day, see the catcher moved it. But if you're standing behind the catcher and you're just watching that glove, you're not going to see that. So <laughs> I, I, I can, yeah, I totally get what you're saying and you're not wrong. Like it's, like you said, stuff is moving more than ever before. The technology, and then you throw in the the amount of emphasis that's been put on catching catchers' ability to frame in the last seven, eight, ten years. Yeah, that all throws a big wrench in all of this. And it's all happening really quickly. You know, why not just go ahead and throw robotic humps in there? And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why this has gone over so well to start. There wasn't you know, a, a super extended amount of time where people were able to talk about how much they didn't want this and how much they didn't like this. Uh, there was some of that, of course, but, um, you know, it got here pretty quickly. And, hey, maybe the World Baseball Classic, too, not going by these rules shows you how long the game can be. Um, you know, and I think, like you said, Jason, this is a, a big win for Rob Manfred, a guy that obviously hasn't been very well received in his tenure as Major League Baseball's commissioner. I guess the strategy just um, – you know, go radical and try to do something crazy to change this game, to get this game to a, a broader audience. I think that's what you see with a lot of these rule changes. Whether you're, you know, a purist, um, an old timer, or you're new to the game, I feel like everybody, for the most part, whether they thought they were or not, do enjoy these rules. And uh, maybe robotic umpires are up next. Going to be fun to see, guys. It's going to be so fun to follow this team. They're four and two right now. They might be 10 games under 500 a month from now. But no matter what, um, you know, we know what this team is. It is not the 2020 Pirates. It's not the 2021 Pirates. not the 2022 Pirates. This is a team that's built a little bit differently, has a lot of upside, especially as the season goes on here. Um, you know, and we're just going to continue to have to follow it. Uh, guys, as we wrap it up here, just your closing thoughts. Anything else um, 
you guys got coming up, and I got to plug it as always. J Mackey PG on Twitter. That stands for Perfect Guy. He's the perfect guy for Pirates <laughs> coverage. Go follow him on Twitter. Not quite, Trey. Not Twitter. quite. I think it's Post Gazette. Ah, I'll take knows. it. Who knows? Jason, you got anything fun coming up? Uh, you're excited working on this week. So I got this might, I don't know how the timing is going to work because I don't know when we're pubbing it out, but. Um, Something tomorrow going live um, about, I didn't know this. So when Mitch Keller was going through his crap in 2021, remember that got sent down. There was a Zoom call. He said, like, I'm the most pissed off guy in the room or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he's in the middle of it, right? Randomly gets a text from AJ Burnett. And Burnett reached out, like, basically starts asking these questions. You know, like, what? one, like, how are you? How's your family? Um then starts asking like what your process is and like, you know, building up his confidence or whatever. They struck up a friendship. And I talked to Mitch about this in Cincinnati. Uh, He's like so geeked to meet AJ tomorrow. Um, He is, Bednar is, and like, you know, I mean, they just like fawn over this guy. It's going to be so fun. So anyway, that goes live Um, by the time. I don't know what's going to come out first, whether it's that story or this podcast, but if anybody hasn't seen that story, please check it out. I'm proud of it. Um, I just think it's a really neat thing for Burnett to do to like look after Mitch. Mitch couldn't believe it. Like that was a cool thing. He's like, is really AJ Burnett texting me? Like, I, why would AJ Burnett text me? Um, it's like a team staffer that said like, Hey, you could help here. And Burnett was more than willing to do it. So anyway, that's what I got. That's, that's, that's my big one. And obviously the home opener, man. I mean, that's like Christmas 2.0. No doubt. What a cool story too. Guys go check that out. Um, Probably doing wonders for him. Got to imagine. That's a really cool deal there. Uh, you said it. It is Christmas number two here. I guess number one. It's coming before. It is April. Marty is going to be there. Marty, yep. uh, what do you got coming up this week? And, um, you know, what are you looking forward to with this big opening day? I mean, I'm just looking forward to be back at the ballpark. You know, excited to be there tomorrow. Be there Saturday as well. Um, I mean, just love it at Pansy Park. Can't wait to be back. Uh, coming up this week, I mean, I have a, you know, one, one thing – we try to really do um, because I know it's not easy to get a lot of coverage on this with the minor league season, getting ready to be in full swing. We try to have something out every night, recapping minor league games, scores, top performers, you know, any video highlights that can be cobbled together, what guys are throwing pitch wise, that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, make sure for your minor league coverage, stick, stick with us as well. We'll try and have you covered there. And uh, yeah, just glad to have baseball back in full swing and excited to be at the ballpark this weekend. Yes. It is here. It is finally here. It has been exciting so far. It is going to be exciting. And, um, you know, we're going to have all that coverage for you at Rumbunter on Twitter and rumbunter.com as well. Check us out. Oh, and Jason, I was going to ask you as well. I know you've probably seen it a little bit more than most fans. Hopefully later on today, they get to see it and throughout the weekend and the rest of the year. What is the coolest update to PNC Park that you've seen? Oh, man. It's not even close. The scoreboard. The scoreboard. I. Uh, I, I actually – I know this will be an unpopular opinion among Pirates fans. Like, I have no issue with what Travis Williams – well, I, that's a separate thing. I, I understand why they focused on what they did. It, it, would, it would be great if he would talk to us more than every two years. I feel like that would alleviate some of it, but it's a different discussion. Um, they made a lot of improvements in the concourse, and I think those are great. Um, but the biggest one to me absolutely is the scoreboard. I can't wait to see it. Figured that was going to be the case. Excited to see that. Uh, excited for everybody out to get out to the ballpark and check that out. All the new updates. Uh, guys, again, tweet at us. Let us know what you think about the new scoreboard, everything else going on this weekend. 
Um, and be sure to stick with us as we take you through the season. But until next time, for Marty Leap, Nick Caparoso, Jason Mackey, my name is Trey Andy. Thank you for joining us. This has been Run With Your Radio. Let's go Bucks, everybody. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.